What I don't understand is if I hit it in the water, I have to take a penalty stroke. It's in the rule book. And then you have 40 seconds to hit a shot. That's in the rule book too. So I don't want to take a penalty shot. I mean, so where, where is, that's in the rule book. They're all in the rule book. So figure it out and penalize somebody. It seems now there's so, so many sports psychologists and everybody telling everybody that they can't hit it until they're ready and that you have to fully process everything. And I mean, I take 15 seconds and go and I've done all right. So I don't understand what they're, it's just, it's just frustrating as a player. When you're out there, you, you know, sometimes it's they're, they might be trying to decide what club to hit. Well, we've had all, you've had a day to think about it, and it's it's pretty clear what the tee shot is, so and that's what you just don't get. So a lot of times it's on the simpler shots. The difficult ones, it's you already know what to do with it, but it's the simpler ones where guys seem to take their time. Yeah, it might annoy you, but it doesn't affect how I play. Get ready! Woo! We are tour, and we're doing it better than anybody else alive. This is the Cutline Podcast with your host, Michael Cavalunas. One of the best damn podcasts out there. The cut line in the Wyndham Championship marks the beginning of the end of the 2020 golf season as we are quickly closing in on the Tour Championship. But the cut line never rests. And this week, our breakdown of the Wyndham is sure to bring the ruckus. But before that, hello Canada, hello Australia, hello USA, hello UK. The WGC St. Jude is over and we finally return to a tournament that leaves you sweating on Friday. Wait for it with a cut line. Finally, anticipating a cut line. Now, if you're new to the cut line, pardon my French, but you're an asshole. What took you so long to listen? And if you are a returning listener, I love you, man. I love you too, bud. I love you, dude. I love you, bro, Montana. I love you, Holmes. I love you, Brosif Goebbels. I love you, Machacha. I love you, Tico Brohe. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's uh, continue here. So happy that you're back. So happy. Welcome to the Cut Line. I'm Mike Cavalunas at Lunas on Twitter, L I U N A S. That's probably the number one regret. Anyways, the Wyndham Championship is here, and with a little research, some hot sauce. I know we are going to have plenty of wieners and winners this weekend, but, but I cannot, shall not, will not do this show alone that's right i have not said that in a very long time now the man the myth the legend oh you didn't know 
your ass better call somebody. Your weekly host of Monday Night DFS, the man with the master plan, the 6K Slayer, the 10K Dynamo, my man Rob G at DFS, RC Guilt on Twitter. What's up, Rob? How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. Super glad to be on the cut, cut line. First time, long time. And gosh, I like the, the 6K Slayer. I might include that in the Twitter bio. Uh, but just, yeah, super excited to be here, super glad, and gosh, feel super honored as well to uh, be the first guest back after, you know, a hiatus of a, a partner being on here. So thank you for that honor. Yeah, no problem. I, I love having a guest back. We're going to have some great conversation about DFS this for this week's Wyndham, but tell us about you, man. I like, you're, you're host of the Monday Night DFS show. It's great, and if... If you're a listener of my show, you haven't checked it out, you need to. You can learn so much. I was I was fortunate to have the opportunity to be a guest on your show, but how, how'd you get into DFS? Like, what motivated you to, to help the masses and everything of that nature? And so quickly, you've grown your name on Twitter. People are following you. I know when we did our show, there was nearly 3,000 viewers. Like, it, it was a spectacular opportunity. You know, lay it on us, man. Yeah, well, gosh, I love doing our show. That was so much fun, and... I think one of the most informative, and that was the whole purpose of doing the show. And uh, yeah, I'll give a little bit of, of my, you know, maybe background or history, and then dive into the purpose of that show just just real quick. But um, playing DFS for a while, almost a decade, I think, back in kind of Draft Street, you know, that was the first one I was doing it, and um, just kind of played around. It was something you know, for, to do for fun. It's fun to gamble and think you're going to win, but I'm losing money, and it's fun to follow the you know, the, the, the sports that you can kind of play fantasy on, but I'm a huge golf nerd. Um, just really got enmeshed with the whole sport and, and, you know, the, the pageantry that the players, I love just following the player story. There's, I mean, shout out to, uh, forgot who wrote the book, but it's a book called slaying the tiger. And I feel so awful. I can't remember the, the, the author, but it just goes into in a specific year, the, the, the players that won each tournament and their backstory. And I just kind of loved all the storylines basically. And so then you were able to, co- you know, combine the, the gambling aspect and, and for the love of, you know, the PGA tour and the golfers, it was, uh, it was just a great combo and kind of didn't do so well at the very beginning, you know, first couple of years didn't, didn't turn a profit and just kind of made lineups for fun. And then noticed that, gosh, all these ex-poker players, you know, these poker pros were kind of having some success in, in DFS. And so realized, God, there, there has to be something there. And kind of similar to you, started doing my own research, started collecting my own data. And then um, using kind of what I was actually in school for, a little kind of psychology, realizing, gosh, there's a, a big edge here, especially in these kind of large um, field contests. And back then, no one was really talking about things such as like ownership or game theory and stuff like that. So just then started having a, a kind of a lot of success and it, it kind of slowly built up year by year. Um, and then I decided, you know what would be fun is just to like talk about this. And so it was kind of almost selfishly that I started the Twitter just because I just wanted to talk more with you know, like-minded people within the industry 
and I, you know, I would listen to podcasts and it was fun just to you'd be on your way to work and check out, you know, what Mayo or someone else might, might be liking. And I thought, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, I can just not make a blimp, but just kind of do it, do it for fun. And, and then it turned out, oh, gosh, well, I, I kind of like you because uh, you're one of the first people I touched base with or you vice versa on Twitter and kind of realized I mean, there's a, maybe a market for just some basic educational tools or DFS strategy that's not being talked about. Um, and not that I'm an expert. I don't like to take that expert role, but just more of, of a facilitator of the process of performing well in DFS. And so maybe I can help with that or maybe you can kind of get a community together that, that can kind of help with it. And that was the whole purpose uh, of the show and long winded and kind of how I got um, started in the DFS. And you know, I'm going to do a little quick humble brag that now it's to the point that it's uh, I had to file last year as it's uh, make its own business. Uh, my accountant did. So I get to kind of brag that it's like officially a part-time job um, <laughs> playing, nice. playing DraftKings. So yeah, so that's the backstory long winded, but uh, that's how we got here. Yeah, well, excellent. I mean, if you have not checked out the show on Monday nights, it's it's on at eight o'clock Eastern time, seven o'clock Central for all of us Midwesterners. Um, it's a great show. It's informative. Always wonderful guests that you have on there. So um, I look forward to it every single week. But we're we're gonna play a quick game here. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, Rob. We're gonna play a quick game. The quick part four. One of my favorites. Okay. All right. So it's gonna be four questions. All related to PGA or DFS. And we're going to get going. All right. So your least favorite PGA Tour golfer. Who is it? Least favorite. Wow. I, I don't, you know, it's actually probably going to be Bryson. And even though I was on team Bryson versus Brooks, uh, you know, neither one of them I would want to get a beer with like at the airport. Uh, but, you know, Bryson each week, I, it's almost like he's deliberately being, being hard, hard to like. Uh, and, it's hard for me to not like anybody, but, but Bryson's kind of making it easy to, to, to dis, dislike him. Uh, so he would be the leader in the clubhouse right now and most disliked golfer on PGA Tour. All right. So looking at PGA DFS, what is your worst beat ever? Like that bad beat that just still stings to this day. Like, for example, for me, and, and listeners in the show knows that know this, 17 out of 26 of 6 in the 20 max at the open when Shane Lowry won and I won money. Don't get me wrong, but you got 17 out of 20 lineups and it's supposed to be like, you mm-hmm. know, riches. And it was so disheartening, but something like that. What do you got? Yeah. So I, I've had a lot of them and luckily I don't, I can't remember much, but the most recent one, and it's, it's gotta be maybe top five of my worst was at the players this year and had JT had a uh, Gooch had, uh gim had everybody the other guy who i had who was top five going into 18 and that was chris kirk and i was i mass entered um it it wasn't the millie maker that year but it was our last year it was some the 15 dollar one anyway winner got 75 grand and i was in second place with more holes remaining than the guy in first and just chris kirk needed to par and justin needed to win and bryson did not win uh and then what's happening is Chris Kirk, I think, triples 18 at, at Sawgrass and takes almost 50 grand away um, because of it. Still made money, still cashed, but uh, I, I was already counting my winnings um, at that point, and so it was it was a punch in the stomach. Brutal, 
brutal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's rough. All right. What sticks do you play with? What's that? What sticks do you play What's with? What, what do you uh, shoot ta- with? I got tailor-made irons, and I just got the um, in the last couple of months the Sim Two Max driver, and I'm in I'm in love with it. It's it's my favorite driver, um, and I got tailor-made wedges too. We got two new wedges, so big on on the tailor-mades. Okay, cool. All right, last question: You could play golf with any tour pro in the history of golf, history of the PGA Tour. Who is it? Who are you playing with? Well, so I'm going to change this question up because I'm going to do I'm going to do the, the finish out the foursome. If that's if that's all right, okay. so yeah, I, go I, ahead. Me, and so I, the first one, and this might sound strange, but to be Adam Scott, for I just respect Adam Scott. You know, has the most you know beautiful swing that there is, um, but also just feels like the type of guy I would want to just talk with. Seems very interesting, um, you know, very uh, eloquent. So that that would be one. Uh, you know, Rick, Ricky would probably be another, he's very popular. I don't have to give the reasons and to finish it out in a current PGA player. Um, you know, it might be, it might be Max Homa. And I know that's another popular one, but he just seems to get in and, and it seems like it would, it would have a good time. So yeah, those three guys, I would maybe have a nice foursome with. Oh, good. Good time. Yeah. Good time. All right. Let's break this Wyndham down. The Cut Line is here to bring you in-depth DraftKings analysis of the Wyndham Championship at Sedgefield Country Club. And we're going to do the best we can. Boring. Give you the best opportunity to cash on Sunday. We'll be sure to bring in timely wax, greenside sand traps, and a putt that might drop in through the back door. And now the goal of the Cut Line is to make sure that not only is your tournament lined up with the green, but so is your bankroll. We're going to make sure that you're cashing and smashing on Sunday with your best plays, best lineups, week in and week out. And the goal is for you to be number one in the winner's circle, number one in daily fantasy sports. So Awesomeo can start looking up to you. And guess what? <laughs> Cutline's going to take you there. But it's Wednesday night. Your lineups lock early Thursday morning. Where are you going to be looking for the most, the best ownership in PGA DFS? The answer, Fanshare Sports and FanshareSports.com. So, very easy fix. Go to Fanshare Sports, sign up, put in all your information, but then be sure to put in Cutline in the discount code and you'll receive 20% off your monthly membership. Remember, ownership is not a leverage to be belittled. All right, so we are going to the Wyndham and we are looking at Sedgefield Country Club. The narrative this week is simply figuring out who is in and who is out of the FedEx playoffs. There are plenty of players that are on the bubble. And plenty of golfers that are motivated by maintaining their status as PGA Tour pros. It'll be interesting to see how this thing shakes out as plenty of players have a variety of outcomes at Sedgefield. An aspect that might go overlooked is looking at golfers who have played in this area or grew up here, especially in the South. There will be a potential advantage for those PGA Tour players. Winning at Sedgefield is simple. Hit your fairways, make your putts, and score low. Even Sneds has shot a 59 here. That's something Tiger Woods has never even done in his <laughs> historic PGA Tour career. Long story short, this is an easy course and one of the easiest on the PGA Tour rotation. The driver is not required at all, and players will have to manage their fair share of blind tee shots. Further evidence is how players disregard their, tri- their driver is noted in Henrik Stenson's win in 2017, where he did not even use the big dog. Yet hitting the fairway is a must. 
The field is above 80% greens in regulation when they're hitting from the short grass and barely, barely above 50% when they're hitting from the rough. Wins can be accomplished by missing fairways, but this is the rare occurrence that is typically backed up with an incredibly, sensationally hot putter. This is a position golf course. You need to calculate your angles of attack based on pin position, and the approach and ball strikers should thrive here. Wedge players salivate at how important 125 yards and closer help promote strong play and outcomes at the Wyndham Championship. Plenty will read that this course is a par 70, but do not worry. The scores will get very low. The winners have scored at least minus 21 or better since 2016. JT Poston even went 17 holes without a single bogey. Is it easy? Damn right it is. But this is what makes golf fun to watch on Sunday. Now, while putting isn't something often way for players, I would recommend looking at strong Bermuda putters as well as current putters to get an idea how this field shakes out. There might be a diamond in the rough. Might be. Quick little nugget that just about everyone knows at this point. Webb Simpson named his daughter after this event and simply loves this course. And he may have only won once. It still obviously holds a special place in his heart. Donald Ross designed Bermuda Greens, 6,500 square feet on uh, in terms of green size. 12 on the stint meter, pretty average. 7,131 yards in length. 13 water hazards and 48 waste areas. Looking ahead at the weather right now, everything looks nice. But guess what? You got a little rain coming in Wednesday night. Thursday, you might get some rain as well, but not enough to stop play necessarily. And you could get some decent amount of wind out in North Carolina, but we'll see how this weather can always change on the dime. Past winners, at least the last four years, Jim Herman, JT Poston, Brent Steneker, and Henrik Stenson. Key stats I'm looking at this week, ball striking, approach, fairways gain, scoring birdie or better, DraftKings scoring, greens and regulation, and I'm really high, highly valuing those wedge players. Rob, what stats are you looking at this weekend? Well, you just mentioned them really, really well, but I guess I'll kind of hyper-focus on a couple yeah, the, the, the wedge game is going to be vital, especially from 150 to 175. I saw that uh, for this tournament, a 28% just about um, approach shots come from that range. And the tour average, I think, is 20%. So, you know, quite a quite a big difference there. So wedge game, and then you're going to have some from 125 to 150 as well. Um, I noticed kind of green and regulation gain is another big one. And just mimicking what you you said, you know, birdie or better, birdie or better gain, opportunities gained are, are going to be so vital. I haven't uh, seen too many people mentioned around the green, uh, and that that seems to be important here a, as well. So I'll just kind of tout that that strokes gained around the green. Uh, you know, I'm not going to weight it too heavily, but but that can be important too. But just just the stats you laid out are, are perfect and um, can't get much better than those. All right, so let's attack this slate the best way we know how.
So this is the dance floor where the cut line looks at angles that you can get different with your line of construction and what are the building strategies this week that are going to get you so unique that you are winning GPPs, getting in the top fives, top tens, and you're, you're sick of min cashing and you're trying to get some real money. But I've been doing too much talking. Rob, you're the guest, man. Nuggets, tidbits, how do we get different this week? What's up? Yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming... That, or I should say that I like to create a lineup the first thing on Monday when they release the salaries of like, okay, here's what I'm thinking, you know, everyone will kind of start making a lineup. And you and I have talked on my show that a lot of people who especially hand build, uh, but even create a pool, start from the top and kind of work their way down. And so I'm thinking that, you know, everyone's going to start with Webb or Louie and Webb is going to be you highly owned, and I'd be interested to see what you think or what we should do with, with Webb. Um, and so I think people start with Webb, maybe then either add Henley and, and either go down to Seamus Power or Streelman. But it's definitely a, a stars and scrub approach I think many are going to play. I think people are going to really buy into the narrative of people around uh, the 125 and the FedEx Cup, you know, needing to get their card. I think people are going to play that. And so we, we could see more 7K, high 6K type prices, our price players be more owned than they normally would. Uh, you know, we're, I think Ryan Armour is going to be one of the, of the highest owned, owned guys um, this week. And that's kind of what it looks like. And so people may... Uh, you know, kind of lean, lean to that narrative. And so I'm thinking, gosh, how do we differentiate? How do we kind of get contrarian? And my thought is maybe to avoid the, the, the 10K, um, except for a guy like Patrick Reed, who I think will severely go under the radar. I don't, he's not coming in in great form. Uh, doesn't have like the best course history, but at, is he, um, is, if he's around 10 or 8 to 10% and Webb is around 25%, is he more that likely to win than Webb? Um, not not sure, but I'll be willing to uh, maybe gamble on it and throw a, a quick share of, of Reed in there. But the whole point being is that I believe everyone's going to go stars and scrub or the majority of people. And so I may begin to build my lineups in the mid AK range. Uh, where it seems no one's talking about Woodland, no one's talking about McIntyre, no one's talking about Bubba, um, and and that that that's a quick way to get contrarian right there. But but I mean, what do you think? Where where, where would you start if you're trying to um, avoid a common build? Well, if you're going to go with stars and scrubs, I think the easiest thing to do is just avoid Webb Simpson. But you, you're really doing it at your own risk. I mean, we, we've seen so many positive results. I mean, not even including the win, right? You, you, you just look at, the, like, the past, what? You, you look at the past four years? Third, second, second, third? It's hard to ignore mm-hmm. that. So for me to say, like, completely fade that, I, I don't know if I can necessarily do that in, in that type of build process. But, you know, we can, you know, look at lots of things in terms of, like, that stars and scrubs process. And you could go to Patrick Reed. I like that play. But I don't think he's coming in secretive this week. Ninth, 22nd. 22nd back in 2016 what i think the best way to get different and call me crazy but i hate this narrative i hate the bubble narrative of the fedex Mm -hmm. playoffs and the reason i hate that is like if a player's on the bubble it's because he's been bad at golf all year long 
And you honestly think that because he's all of a sudden motivated to keep playing golf and go to the FedEx playoffs that he's going to just turn it on? You know what else motivates these golfers? Money. Money. Winning the tournament. You think Bill Haas doesn't want to come out and win this tournament? He doesn't. He's not making the FedEx playoffs. But he'd love to finish top five. All right? And, and these, are, these are names we're looking at. Guys just inside is like Stallings, Garnett, C.T. Pan, Adam Scott. Your boy, Adam Scott. You're golfing with him, yeah. too. By the way, were you golfing with Adam with the with the cheap putter or with the new putter? What, what are we doing so, here with, with Adam know, Scott when you guys I, are doing I know that's golf? a hot subject. I don't care. If he wants to use the broomstick, the big thing, you know, go ahead. I mean, he, he wasn't – he was a little bit better with it, but, you know, I, he was actually a great putter when he first came on tour, side note, uh, when he won the players, when he was – you know, looked like he was 21 or something. And he was actually a good putter back then. I don't know what happened, but, I, yeah, I don't care. I don't care about that. But going back to that 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 bubble mm-hmm. list, like guys just outside the top 125, mm-hmm. someone like you know Viegas, do you really want to play him based on that information? Roger Sloan, Austin Cook, Chase Seifert. I mean, I get it. Tommy Fleetwood on an easy course is like you lock him in to play, but he's been awful. Roy Sabatini, you wanna you wanna bank on Ricky Fowler? <laughs> And, and go in that granted Ricky's been playing pretty well lately I, I like yeah. Ricky but I think that's one of the build processes I'm going to kind of avoid is like buying into that narrative of like oh these guys want to make the playoffs mm-hmm. you know what if they wanted to make the playoffs they would have been in great form starting back at last year's fall swing and it's just not there for them well I, I have not seen a lot in some of these bubble players to say hey it's, he's turning it around you know, and I'm not saying that it won't happen. It's just I don't want to play guess the right one and hopefully get it right in my GPP yeah. builds. So that's what I'm looking at there. Um, okay, can I can I can I share, another way can I I share think, real quick on web before we just move move on? Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I, I posted on my Twitter just this uh, this idea of okay, do you think Web is going to finish? Like, if, for example, if he finishes 15th. Is he going to be in a large field GPP winning lineup? Uh, a lot of people responded to that that said no. And, and I, I typically, I, I agree. I think if Webb comes in around 25% owned and he finishes 15th, he won't be in a GPP winning lineup. He can still make money for, for your lineups. Um, and, and so that's where I, where I actually kind of project him finishing is around 11th and 15th. So kind of a, a down year at the Wyndham comparative to how he's normally been playing. And so if I'm if I'm trusting, you know, and I'm wrong, I'm wrong a lot. But if I'm trusting my projection of finishing between 11th and 16th, then I, I might fade, fade Webb. And I, I haven't decided what to do with him, but I'll just share the maybe the biggest mistake people do with a guy like Webb is they're unsure. They hear information that says, gosh, he's high owned and you're supposed to fade high owned players. And then we hear the things, gosh, he has great course history. He's named a daughter after this. He loves this place. And so what people do is then they get like the fear of missing out. They get FOMO and they just say, okay, well, maybe I'll just match the field with Webb. So I'll just own him in 25% of my lineups and the field owns the 25%. But you get no leverage there. And so you really, I, I kind of advocate, and I do it myself, not to make strong opinions and say, with a guy like Webb, I'm not going to sit on the fence because I'm likely hedging my own you know, plays there, really, and say, I either have to go severely overweight or severely underweight or fade 
um, with, with web. And, you know, that might not work for everybody, but that, that's what I do in, in a situation like this where we're faced with this web at the window. If web finishes 15th, I think this is a common misconception. If web finishes 15th place, yeah, realistically, do you have a shot of winning the GPP? No, you're you're paying for him to finish mm-hmm. top five. But I will say this, if web finishes 15th and your five other spots are in the top sure. 10 you got a realistic mm-hmm. shot. So, I, I mean, it, it's it's kind of like, a, I think that's a growing misconception that your top dogs need to finish top five. Yeah, they kind of have to finish at, at a bare minimum top 15, but that's every single player you roster. Yeah, well, I guess a better way to put you know, that so would be is that your lineup has to be more right if Webb finishes tied 15th and not five, or not top five. That's true. That's correct. All right, so... There's a lot of names, though, I think, where, where you can like leverage ownership and you're going to bank on maybe some bad play, bad recent form to kind of turn it around, like someone like Adam Scott. Um, that's a way you can get different. You know everyone's going to be all over Mito. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you get different? Where where can you play somewhere else? And, and I think playing Mito here is fine, but I think the best time to get on board is at the sports book. And just keep betting him to win because there's probably a false swing tournament that he's more likely to win than he is here at the Wyndham. Um, and I think one thing that and we talked about this on your show when I was on it, the biggest misconception for this week being an easy course is people are going to make connections with the best golfers having the easiest ability to score. But my argument is that these easier courses allow everyone to win and where the best golfers excel is on the more difficult courses because they can make those tough shots. So I think those are areas where we can get different. Looking at the plays, looking at that price range, I mean, that 7K range, when you look at it, are guys we've played all year long that we like. Like, there have been plenty of times I was on HV3. There were plenty of times I was on Frank Vegas. Yeah, Johnny, <laughs> a.k.a. Frank. Johnny, a.k.a. Frank Vegas. So, I mean... People are going to want to play CT Pan because of the bubble concept. And, 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 the, and the Olympics right. narrative, well, how well he did um, kind of the final day at yeah, Tokyo. Yeah. You got any nuggets, tidbits, anything you want to add? Yeah, well, I'll just throw in a couple guys that – or maybe just one because we'll, I know we'll maybe kind of talk talk a little bit more about it. But um, a guy like – yeah, where is he? A Gooch, for example. I'm big on Gooch. I know we'll kind of kind of get to, get to that range, but it looks – I don't have anyone talking about him. And I don't think he's played since the Open. He might have been at the – no, he just hasn't played since since the Open. He didn't get strokes gained out of there. So he's not going to typically pop if you're doing, um, you know, models in the short term. And, and so, you know, kind of look out for that. And so my point with all that is look out for statistics of guys playing – um, in Tokyo, where we didn't get strokes gain data registered, really, I know they re- the Olympics released some, and the guys playing the CUDA. So if you do kind of trend models, or if you look at just strokes gain data from the last couple tournaments, um, you know, take some with a grain of salt because we're not getting the full picture with the Open, the Olympics, and the CUDA not not kind of releasing the same way normal tournaments would. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, well that moves us on. Who are we going to play this weekend? These two putts from victory. Only needs one. Ooh, got a member's bounce there, boys. 
That's birdie all day long. This brings us to the Cut Line's Birdie or Better segment, where we will break down each tier of golfer from the 11K range down to the 6K range, talking about our favorite plays, guys we love, guys we like, guys we don't like. And we're going to start up here in this 11 to 10K range, which includes Matsuyama, Usti, Webb Simpson, Will Zalatoris, Patrick Reed, and Jason Kokrak. I'm going to tell you right now, we're not talking about Webb. We've exhausted it. We're moving on. We know he's good. Course fit here. We don't have to keep going into it. But Matsuyama has had a fantastic year. An incredible year. Masters champion. Playing well recently. Okay. We look at his stats here. Third in 2016. 11th in 2018. Missed the cut in 2019. But in terms of the weighted 2021 PJ stats that I'm looking at, which include fairways hit, ball striking approach, Matsuyama fits the bill here as the top dog. And because he's the top dog, he's going to come in at severely, grossly lower ownership. What do you think? You like you like Decky? Oh, I love I love Hideki. And gosh, I think last week he was at around four percent, and what a steal! Uh, and speaking of last week, gained almost nine on approach, even lost to stroke putting and finished second um, there there in Memphis. It, it's hard not to like uh, Ed Ducky. He's got the long-term stats that fit well for this course and the short-term, and you'll be able to see on finance, uh, Fanshare about you know how he's coming in. He, he's trending very nicely. And it just last two tournaments where the strokes gained data was kept. He had gained six and he gained eight point nine on on approach. Uh, that that's that, that's going to get it done. You don't have to putt well if, if those are your approach numbers. So, yeah, re- really like really like Decky and just kind of maybe moving down. Just one other guy in the in ten k range. I, I like. I, I'm kind of mentioned Reed earlier, uh, but kind of Zalatoris. You know, I think he's from the area, and you may know this. You know, I think from went, went to Wake Forest. Is that right? Uh. I believe so. Double check yeah, th- that, but yeah, I think I think he did. But here, here, let me just share real quick why I like Zalatoris, and I'm gonna really throw out a humble brag. I've uh, been right on Zalatoris. I feel like every single week I predicted him and to to miss cuts, and he has. I predicted him to fade, and it works out. And so Zalatoris really, when you're looking at the trend, like trend progression with ball striking. Um, 100 rounds, 50 rounds out, Zalatoris is, is top 10. He's top five, actually. But then he, you know, around 12, and, uh, you know, he's kind of one of the worst in the field. But we're starting to see some positive regression where his ball striking is coming back to what it usually is. And it was so great to see at the St. Jude that he, he gained three strokes on approach. And we think, gosh, that's not great. But uh, he hadn't gained strokes like that since may so it was just really good to see see that return to form um he was pretty solid off the tee actually did well putting um uh, I, I i i'm, I'm kind of like will zalatoris be interested to see what 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 you think on on willie z well he he's it's like two sides of the coin right on easy courses mm-hmm. he typically falls flat on his face like mm-hmm. that's just typical will zalatoris and when everyone's jumping on him i think people are off him because of his recent form but Looking at some of my models, and, and, and the three that I really trust are the confidence model, my aggregate model, and my overall stat model. Now, if you take away the overall stat model, he ranks just outside the top 40. But in my confidence model, he's number 15. Mm-hmm. That's pointing something out to me. And then if you look at my weighted 2021 PGA stats, he's 16th as well. 
So there's something to be said. The thing that I like about Zalatoris here, and yes, it was a miscut in 2018, but he's played this course before. And, and, and course history is something we most definitely value with something that's so easy, like the Wyndham. Like, it, it, like someone like Snedeker has won here twice, shot a 59 here once. The fact that he knows this course, he's been here before, played at Wake Forest. These are all positives. He's going to come in at lower ownership because of this. He's most definitely a viable option, a viable pivot from someone like Webb Simpson, uh, someone like Louis, who's going to garner a ton of ownership. And we, we, we don't have to get much into Louis. We know how great he's playing. But I love the Zalatoris call, and I think it's not necessarily sneaky because it's not going to come in in that single-digit range. Probably not, at least. But we'll see how it shakes out this week. But I love the Zalatoris call, and I agree with you. In, in terms of his rolling stats, he's getting better. He's getting mm-hmm. better. So, yeah, um, Last guy I want to mention... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was just get, yeah, I was just gonna I was just gonna mention Louie uh, j- just real quick, and he he's a full fade for me. He's had an amazing year, yes, but you know I, I've been doing this a while, and the narrative around Louie used to be you you can't play him, you can't trust him because he was a terrible putter except for this year, and we'd always worry about the the back injury, and he would just be so um, you don't know which Louie you were getting in in tournaments. And so over uh, this year, his putting has been, gosh, I think some of the best I've ever seen. He hasn't lost strokes putting since the PGA in in 2020. So so he's gained strokes on on putting every single tournament since last year's PGA. It's just just silly. So I'm really expecting some regression with the putter. We saw it a little bit last week. We're likely going to see a little bit of regression with the approach game as well. You can't; it's just hard to keep anything above five up consistently. And with his ownership and price, it's it's just really hard for me to kind of buy in on that. When it just for me, it's as kind of regressing to the norm is written all over his face. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. I like that idea. I didn't think about that negative regression coming for Louis. Uh, and we've seen it recently, actually. 0.3 strokes gained putting at, at the 3M Open. Only 1.7 gained at the uh, St. Jude. And that's after he, you know, the 7.1 gained at the U.S. Open. So it, you, you might be onto something there. So let's go down to the 9K range. And, you know, as much as I would want to start talking with Brian Harmon, I'm <laughs> going to go straight into everyone's DFS darling, Tommy Fleetwood. All right. Fleetwood, easy courses, by far, historically, on easy courses, number one in this field. Not even close how good Tommy Fleetwood is on birdie scoring courses. And part of that are WGC events. You look at Lee Aldrich's course suitability metric, which you find on Fanshare Sports, he ranks number four. But Tommy Fleetwood has been terrible this year. Mm -hmm. Terrible. Where are you at on him? Because... As much as I want to buy into that narrative of playing well on an easy course, I also talked about how if you're playing bad, sometimes it's just not your year. And that's kind of how I feel about Tommy Fleetwood right now. Yeah, I think the the current form outweighs the the idea that he performed. Not the idea, I mean, it's backed up. But it outweighs his history with performing on easy courses. So... You know, I, I think course, yeah, recent form is is has much more weight to it than past performances on difficult or hard courses, and so yeah, his it, it's hard to 
to buy in to Tommy. And I, I always feel like he's going to turn around soon. He's close, but gosh, he just hasn't, he just hasn't done it yet. And I don't think it happens this week. Yeah, I agree. And, and not to discount Harmon. We don't have to talk about him, but I love his scoring ability. I think, I think he's a must play here. I, I think long term, he's one of the best scorers in the field. So you most definitely have to consider him, but we're going to keep going down in this 9K range. Uh, who else you like? Yeah, like I say, I must play for Harmon. That's bold. So you might have to come back to that. But in the, in the 9K range, I just, he's going to be super chalky, but Henley. Gosh, he just lights up every single model I put out there. Um, and especially, I just looked at at wedge play, and Henley's been the best over you know, almost every single statistic through four rounds to 100. So I, I'm going to have to get creative with what I do with Henley. But I do really, really like him. I, I like Sungjae. I, I think we're going to see some positive regression back to how he normally is with his ball striking. And we're kind of seeing it already where he hasn't lost – Strokes gained approach since the Memorial, and that's where strokes gained data is kept. Um, played actually pretty well last week at, at St. Jude, just lost four and a half strokes gained putting and lost some around the green. I, I, I expect Sergio to, I mean, <laughs> Sergio, I expect Sunjay to kind of turn it on. Now, you may tell me that he might not perform well on easy courses because I think he does play well on hard courses, but uh, he, he can kind of get hot with the approach game and. I, I think this might be a time to buy back in on him, like a buy low opportunity on on Sung Jay. What do you think, uh, Sung Jay? I, I I agree. I, I think he's you got to buy Sung Jay, but I don't think he's necessarily like a sneaky play. He'll probably come in that low teen percentage mm-hmm. in terms of ownership. So he's not a leverage play by any means, but he most definitely is a differentiator in your lineup construction on easy courses. Sung Jay dominates. I got okay, him fifth great. overall in the field, and then in my projections for the weekend, I got him seventh. But um, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, Henley, Sanjay, Harmon, and all these guys are, are figuring kind of be in that same range of players. Like I, I, I would even consider them just like, that's their own individual tier, that 9,000 and 9,400. Cause I think everyone below them with, with Wolf, Scott, Siwoo and Bubba is almost separate, even though they're mm-hmm. part of that 9k range. And I think that's where you're just going to have to leverage ownership. Right now, looking early, Henley Henley looks pretty solid in terms of ownership, like upwards to twenty percent, and that's just early trends over at Fanshare that are giving this kind of data. But that's hard pill to swallow when I could just play Sungjae and for two hundred more dollars, or mm-hmm. figure out a way to fit someone else in and pay five hundred more and get up to Harmon. Um, and I'm sure some people are going to love going up to Fleetwood, which is fine. But if we're getting Russell Henley and, and could be a solid play, don't get me wrong. But he's going to be 20, 22% ownership. And then you're going to play double digit ownership up in the top tier. You're going to be playing some weird, strange golfers mm-hmm. to try to build a solid lineup. And that's where you can get into trouble. So instead of doing that, I would rather play the guys I like. I'll pivot from Henley and I'll go to Sung Jay. I'll go to Brian Harmon. And you're, you are looking at their tournament history, not including their cuts, average finishing position. Harmon, average finishing position, three tournaments, one missed cut, 17th. Sungjae, two made cuts, two top 10 finishes. And then you got Henley with three three finishes, one missed cut, average finishing position at 29th. So I know that's a limited sample size. It's not really a trend. It's really nothing. It's just kind of noise, but it is something to note. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at their 2021 PGA stats, comparing the three of them, Sunjay ranks number nine, Henley ranks number eight, Harmon ranks number seven in my weighted 2021 PGA stats. And 
again, leveraging ownership, I, I will do so with one of those between the three of them. So it's really going to come down to what uh, Pat Mayo says and what Rick Gaiman say <laughs> yeah. to, to push those guys up. And we'll find out, you know, what tour junkies wants, like who they want to play in their lineups. And that'll kind of make the decision for me. But, you know, the, all three of them are solid plays. I, I'm not going to say that in terms of their statistical models, they can't be. You kind of touched upon it with, with Russell Henley. The fact that he's gaining in his last 20 tournaments, you know, nearly four strokes gains tee to green is pretty impressive. So he's a most definitely a viable play. All right. Anyone else? We do have to kind of touch upon this lower 9K range, and that's Wolf, Scott, Siwoo, and Bubba. Between the four of them, if I had to pick, and I, I, I got a feeling I know who you will pick, and one is the same and one is different. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to play Matt Wolf, regardless of the fact that he is all over the place. He's all over the map. I love Siwoo Kim here. You know, who doesn't? His ownership's going to be probably through the roof. But I can't buy Adam Scott and Bubba Watson. I just can't do it. I can't buy them here in this lower 9K range when I got such better op- options up in this top 9K range. What do you think? What do you think of this low 9Ks? So I actually am really high on Bubba, and I think we'll get him at single-digit ownership. And I oh, know absolutely, I, yeah, absolutely, we'll get him for the single-digit. And maybe, and or I should say, likely for good reason. But I, I think this. Well, Bubba is having a good year, you know, and maybe not. He hasn't won twice like you know he has in the past, but or maybe how he has been playing, he's had a good second half of the year. And so I, I kind of like what he's doing, and this is not typically what we see a kind of a, above a course, but I, I like lately what he's done with approach outside of the 3M. But even at the 3M where he lost 2.2 on approach, he still was able to make the cut, finish 50th, and that's not great. But, uh, you know, at the U.S. Open, he lost, you know, over one and still was able to kind of hang, hang around. I think Bubba can kind of contend. We know he can get hot at Birdie Fest, like the Travelers and Rocket Mortgage. He he's done really really well. I, you know he he can do well on uh, yeah easy courses, like I was saying. And you know they're just they're just something about you know Bubba just really recently that that I said maybe with his ownership right now, it, you know if he he could break the slate if he turns into one of those bubba rounds and knocks everything close and gets the putter rolling and finishes top five. But I mean, you could say that about anybody, but yeah, I'm going to play the opposite end. I like Wolf's, you know, I like Wolf three years, 30 years from, from now. And that's Bubba. And so I, I'm big on Bubba this week. I can't do it. His <laughs> greatest asset is not in play. The big dog, the big pink shaft is gone. Right? How often is he going to pull the driver out? Now, don't get me wrong. Great shot shaper. But then now you're dealing with his other bugaboo. And the biggest flaws in his game, in terms of like his around the green game, his putting game, mm-hmm. they're not abysmal. Don't get me wrong. They're not, they're not god awful. And I know he's turned it on before. He's got two Masters t- championships. But that's hard. That's a hard sell for me. And if Bubba wins, you can, you know, come back on here and say fuck you mike you didn't know jack shit I told you gotta let you, me on man. the next but, week then if bubba wins you gotta God. let me on next week you gotta tell you gotta tell your other guests that sorry i gotta bring rob back on we'll, we'll make some side wagers here with <laughs> yeah. bubba and I'll, we'll find some comp that we can utilize but yeah i can't buy bubba And I get where you're coming from, but there's so many advantages that he has that are now mitigated by the style of this course. 
And, and I just don't see him fitting that course mold. Now he does rank well. In, in like in my overall stat model, number 13th, 21st in my confidence, 17th in my aggregate model. But, you know, in the 2021, he did talk about the resurgence in the second half. He's still 49th, 49th in the field in the weighted stats of 2021. So that's hard to buy. Um, and then the other thing is, like, we haven't seen him here in the last five years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a long time not to play. All right, so that's the 9K range. Let's go down to the 8K range, which includes McIntyre, Nah, Woodland, Fowler, Power, Kiz, Streelman, Munoz, Schwartzel, EVR, recent winner EVR, one week too early, and then Justin Rose. Who do you like here? So there's a, there's a lot to like, and it won't take too much of the time, but I really like Bobby Mack. Uh, played well last week at, at the uh, – and the FedEx St. Jude kind of won with him in showdown, had a good showdown day on round four on Sunday. He underperformed the whole whole tournament. And, he, he, you know, he only gained almost one stroke on approach. But, you know, following shot track, tra- tracker or tracer, whatever the hell it is, uh, it, it was a lot better than just less this less than one stroke on, on approach. And I was surprised to see he gained strokes with the putting. Uh, but but you look, so look he, after the open where he finished top ten he came to the three M as super chalk yeah I think he was in you know he's around twenty or something like that ended up missing the cut people jumped off him at the St Jude and finished fifteenth at pretty low ownership and you know I, I think his ownership will be around ten to twelve but. You know he's uh, we we've seen what he what he's done this year, and you know you will have to tell me maybe what he can do on on easier courses. But he has the game; he's great off the tee. He can hit fairways. Uh, he kind of reminds me of Patrick Reed a little bit with his around the green game. Probably not as good, or likely not as good, but his def he's definitely hitting the ball better than Patrick is right now. And and I, I like I like Bobby Mack, and I'll just throw out one other name in, in that range, and it's Gary Woodland. Really, really like Gary Woodland. So you said something that was really, really interesting that I wanted to bring up is that, and, no, and not a lot of people are talking about it, so props to you for mentioning that. But one way to look at this course is not a lot of golfers are going to take driver off the tee. And so when we, we really wait and people are doing it in their models of – you know, you know, fairways gained and things like that. Well, all that's going to be a little different if you're not hitting hitting driver. So I'm like, okay, what's something that I can kind of compare then to? And so I'm looking at proximity from 200 yards out. And so I know if they're hitting three wood, you know, that could be 250. But it just gives me an idea that maybe who hits long irons or woods well, and maybe not the driver. Well, Gary Woodland over the last 50 rounds ranks 12th in that statistics. 200 yards out proximity. Also, what I really like with Gary, and this is something you came on my show uh, and mentioned, is that you like to look at the Sunday rounds and see what did a guy shoot like 64, 63, something pretty hot, and then going into the next week. Well, Gary had a great weekend at the, the, the Barracuda, had a great week at the 3M, was solid game strokes on every single category, uh, I, I like Gary Woodland. I, I don't know what his ownership will be. I'm assuming or maybe around 10 to 12. Uh, but Gary, Gary's another guy in this range that, that I like and be interested to see what you think. Yeah, I like Gary Woodland too. I, I think that after his abysmal showing at, at the Rocket Mortgage and the Open, that 11th place finish at the 3M Open kind of was kind of sneaky and quiet. 
But we saw evidence of potential, you know, turning things around from Woodland. We fifth at the Wells Fargo in early May, 38th at the PGA Championship, 14th at the at the end of May, you know, around Memorial Day, and then June came. And through June and July, it, it, he just kind of struggled. But now we're back to 11th at 3M Open. I, I think that's just kind of what you get with Woodland. You get that streaky, solid player who sometimes, you know, is on his game and then at other times just misses the mark, right? Um, looking at him in terms of like scoring, he's been a scoring machine and he always is. So we need scoring to win this tournament. You need to get to at least minus 21. In the last six years, you needed to be at least minus 21. Woodland has that ability. So again, off year for Woodland, but again, he is streaky. Has not played here. So that could be a cause for concern for those of you that are like those course history buffs. But um, I love how you talked about Mac. I love I loved the talking about Woodland. Kevin Na, do you have any interest in 8,800 Kevin Na? You know, I, a little bit. I could be like persuaded if you have a strong, strong stance on Kevin Na. I, he was kind of the – everyone loved him, I think, last week at the St. Jude. But, gosh, he is trending in a terrible way, ball striking. Uh he hasn't been hitting it all well. year. Yeah, all all year, but all year long. But but last, I mean, last last four rounds, he's like near bottom of the field. He's ranks 125th in my model. Um, it for just just the last four, uh, he, he lost three on approach last week. Lost 0.6 off the tee. He's lost strokes gained approach in the last you know in five out of the last seven. Yes, yeah, six out of the last. Hey, gosh, it's. He's not. He's not coming in well. The putter can get hot. We know he could be a great putter, but I, I don't like to lean on a guy's putting uh, when the ball striking stats just just aren't there. So I, I'm likely not going to be on Kevin Na unless you have a, a pretty big argument to, to roster him. The only argument I have is that you are going to get Kevin Na reduced ownership. He has two top ten finishes here at this tournament, and you're putting the driver away. Again, which is going to focus on the approach play. But like like you mentioned, and like I kind of said as well, like he's been bad in approach all year long. Mm-hmm. The The only time he gained massive strokes was back at the Charles Schwab where he gained six and a half on approach, but he was so bad on the dance floor that he finished like top 35, 32nd place. So that's not going to do it for you at this price. Kevin Na, it's a hard sell. He's a low ownership type play, but... um be interesting to see. Go to uh, let's go down to Ricky Fowler. Yeah. And for me, Fowler's just going to be an ownership play. If he's low owned, he'll be in my he he'll be in one or two lineups of mine. If he's going to be in that double digit ownership, I'm just going to pass. Um, I'm we've seen improvement from Ricky Fowler, but the problem is is that he can't consistently put together four rounds. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that from Ricky Fowler yet, and with the exception of the PGA Championship, and that was so long ago. Right. You know, he followed that up with the memorial, but then he missed the cut 32nd, 53rd, 34th. And in the last 20 tournaments, he's lost strokes game putting, which is unheard of for Ricky Fowler. Um, his last 10 tournaments, he's lost strokes in approach, lost uh, nearly a half stroke in approach. Now, obviously, they're not detrimental to your stat wise in terms of what you're trying to do in a tournament, but here where you need to get to minus 20, especially at $8,600. I don't think I'm going to buy any Ricky Fowler unless we're looking at reduced ownership. Um, anyone else in this lower 8K range that you want to touch upon? I like Schwartzel. I like Streelman. Everyone's going to love Seamus Power. Yeah. 
Um, but anyone else, any interesting kids or Munoz, those are guys that are not getting talk or getting much talk. EBR, you know, any, any interest in EBR? Yeah. I think he could win back to backs here. Yeah. Not, not really. And, you know, maybe with Kisner, maybe not, or likely not. Power is going to be popular. I'll just say one thing with, with, with Ricky that I, it does give me some hope. I was kind of tra- testing out this, you know, try to, how can we kind of, we know there's so much variance with putting. And so how can we find some more consistency w- w- with putting? And so I look at kind of the, the trend just with strokes gain putting and, and it's kind of worked out somewhat well for how I've been doing it. And, and so Ricky is actually coming in the field, not the best putting, but the best in progressing toward uh, he's trending well. So the last 100 to 50 rounds, he ranks 63rd and 74th, excuse me, in putting. And that's not typical, Ricky. But then as we go through the 24, the 12, the 8, the 4, these are his numbers. So 21st, the 25th, so not too great, but then the 17th, and then the 9. And so we want to, we can almost uh, kind of read this as, okay, he might be peaking at the right time with the putter. And you know, I, I haven't really tested this theory too much, but it, it's kind of been working. So I might say if he's gone from 25 to 17 to 9, there may be enough upside to say, let's say he go, he has he ranks fifth in the field in strokes game putting. That might be enough for Ricky to really contend. So if, if you are if you do like Ricky, maybe that gives you a little bit of hope. Yeah, I, I'm trying to look at this, you know, looking at putting on Bermuda. And over the over the last hundred rounds, okay, Ricky Fowler is not even in the top twenty. So you know we're looking at Bermuda here for Ricky. Mm-hmm. I, I I get the trend that you're talking about, but I, for me, Fowler just comes down to that ownership play and can he put together four straight rounds? I don't know if he's there yet. I mean, I'd rather pay up to ninety three hundred Matt Wolf, even though you don't like him. <laughs> Then go to Ricky Fowler at this point, but just based on the putter. I know we're looking at limited stats. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's the AK range. Quick look at the power rankings, which you can find on CutlineGolf.com, your free resource for PGA and gambling DFS. If we look at it, number one, power, then Streelman, then Schwartzel, then we got Woodland, Munoz, Na, Fowler, EVR, Justin Rose, Kisner at number 10, and Bobby Mack at number 11 in the power rankings. Wow. Yeah, careful. <laughs> careful with that Bobby Mack play. Power rankings sometimes don't lie. Sometimes. <laughs> All right, so the 7K range, always the bread and butter. Always got to get this right. Find the top plays. For me, it's pretty simple. Johnny Vegas is probably your top play Great. in this range. I don't know how. I don't know how you get away from Frank Vegas. Oh, man. It, it, it's a tough sell for me. He's been playing so well. Mm-hmm. He played so like he played decent at the Olympics, second at the 3M Open, 11th at the John Deere. Obviously, the 57th at the U.S. Open, not what you want, but second at the Palmetto. And he's on an easy course. This is like, please play me type of play. And Vegas is not getting a lot of love because, let's be realistic, when he was high-priced, he did not play well here's the caveat two miscuts here two miscuts how much stock do you put into course history with johnny vegas here at sedgefield i'm not looking at course history much you know if i'm trying to you know whittle a pull or pull down yeah i'll kind of lean on it but um you know not, not not too heavily it doesn't scare me but i will say 
that your argument against Bubba Watson, I could make somewhat closely to Frank Vegas here, is that one of Frank's weapon <laughs> is the driver. He's long off the tee and can usually hit it pretty straight. And so if you're taking that away from uh, from his arsenal, then that, that, that gives me concern, especially – well, I, you know, we don't know his ownership, but you, you mentioned it may not be as high as, as I think, but I think it'll be, be be pretty high. So I do worry about um, that, that that with Frank, but it'll come down to an ownership play with me. If he gets around 15%, it'll be a fade. If not, he'll be, he'll be in my player pool. All right. Any love for Sneds? Yeah, a lot of, Two-time winner here. A lot of love for Sneds. And I, I that he'll be another ownership play. If he gets into yeah, 15, 16, 17, I, I can't do it. But, gosh, if he can stay around 10 or less, oh, I would just love that. I, I do like Sneds. I think we see um, a little flash of of what we've seen in the past with, with Brandt. I think Brandt gets a little bit of that, like, Coocher type hate. Yeah. Because like, he's so old that – he never gets the respect that he should at any particular tournament. Now, the next guy I want to mention, you know, there's there's tons of plays and tons of talking points. JT Poston we can go to, but the next guy I want to talk about is Hank Lebiota. I think at 7,600, Hank Lebiota becomes the chalk donkey of the week. Yeah. Like, Middle 20%, 25%, maybe higher because people get them at 7,600, which is easy to start your builds there, get different elsewhere. I can't buy someone who's as inconsistent as Hank Lebiota at that type of ownership. I, I just can't sit there and do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're, so I, we missed our time. If you if you haven't played him, you missed your time to to buy in at Hank at the right time. And now is not the time. He he's kind of trending in the opposite way, not terribly, but a little a little awful. Um, definitely not as hitting as as well as he was earlier um, right now. But th- this is I have a, a terrible. I will not play Hank. This is not the time to buy in on a chalk mid 7k guy it's just it just has fade written all over i can't fathom it i mean if you guys or if one of your listeners if, if he's one of your favorite player yeah fine go overweight on him he, he can burn me he's done it before but it's very hard to justify playing hank with the combination of kind of how he's trending the possible negative regression and the ownership it, it just grows to me well, another guy who kind of fits that bill is the Gim Reaper, yeah. who I like to call the the Sunday's mental midget. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about Doug Gim? Yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of like the same way. He's he, he doesn't perform well on Sundays. Struggles with the putter. Uh, it, his ball striking still is, is pretty solid. So I may, you know, I may sprinkle a little there in here. Depends on the pool, but. The guy I really want to get to in the seven K range is Taylor Gooch. I love Taylor Gooch. I think he has underperformed for the caliber of golfer that he is. I think he is I think he's gonna be a multiple winner on tour. Um, you know, somewhere in the future. He's gonna contend at majors. I think he has so much talent. And I think we'll look back maybe in a year and say, gosh, Taylor Gooch was below eight K at, at the at the Wyndham. Uh, he is, his numbers will not jump off the page to you, largely because we don't get strokes gained stats from the Open. But his 33 finish at the Open was so solid. Uh, 
at the Travelers, finished 36, gained two, you know, almost three on approach, gained almost five at the Memorial on Charles Schwab. The, the big thing with, with Gooch is can you keep it in the fairway? He struggles off the tee. But if you're taking driver out of his hand, I, I think, gosh, okay, maybe there's room to, for, for upside here at, at this tournament. Um, and I think he's going to be low on. Not a lot of people are talking about him. And just there's not a lot of data behind you know, me, but I just kind of the eye test and to see him as a golfer, I think he has incredible talent. And he, he's going to win soon. A win is right around the corner. And uh, it, it, this just seems like a great buy low opportunity. He he has the opportunity in my player pool to be the highest owned guy because of I, my perceived upside and the his ownership, what that might be. Yeah, I do like Gooch this week as well. We kind of touched upon him already, how high he ranks in all my models. But the thing I didn't mention was the fact that on easy courses, he ranks number 17 in the field. Um, for projections, just for this weekend's projection, he's just outside the top 10 at number 11. We're talking about a $7,700 guy that I'm projecting for 11th place. 11th place. So he's the the, the highest sub-8K player to in my projections model. The next, who's not in the 10 or 9K range, Kevin Streelman, who's just above him. And he's only above him by like 0.05. DraftKings points. So it's insane. I love Gooch this week. I'm all aboard about making him a core play. And you're stealing it, man. I was gonna put him in my core four. But you know, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out come come, you know, Monday night, Tuesday night. But uh yeah, going 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 forward in the seven K range, again, like I mentioned before, this is your bread and butter. Like, there are so many options to get different from the chalk. Like, I like Chezzy this weekend. I like Brandon Grace. Um, Hank Leviota, if he ends up being that that high owned, I'm not going to do it. I don't like CT Pan. I don't like Doug Gim. Like these aren't guys that I want to play. But Luke List's most definitely on my radar. Someone who's probably going to come in low owned. Um, Joel Dahman, not sold on being on an easy course because Joel Dahman always lets us down in this kind of situation. But again, could put, be a potential play and pivot. Ranks 21st in my overall stat model, 30th in my aggregate model. You look at him on tour this year, he's in that top 45. So he's in a, another option. But the one guy I want to mention, and this is more of like a recent trend type of guy, Sepp Straka. Sepp Straka. We saw him at the Olympics. Where are you at at Sepp? 7,100. Love him or hate him. Where are you at on Sepp? Yeah, just kind of the normal. Yeah, I feel like each tournament, Sepp, models out well because he's great with you know ball striking typically especially in the second half of the year it's just it's just putting and we saw that the second day in the olympics he kind of rebound nicely uh later in the round but you, it, you just don't know what really what what step you're going to get but at, at his price at you know 7100 you know we can hope that he gets a good putting putting day it yeah, it, it just sometimes he it has a hard time matching up with his ball striking with his putting. It just seems to like at the Rocket Mortgage, he gained almost three putting, lost three and a half on approach, and so yeah, you just don't know what to get. It, it's if if he's going to be somewhat decently owned, I may fade, uh, but I, I'm kind of sitting on the fence of Seth. Yep. Uh, last guy I like in the seven K range. Uh, and then we can move on unless you got somebody you want to mention. Um, like Chris Kirk. Mm, yeah. Love Chris Kirk here. I think he's going to get some love in terms of ownership, but I think he projects well here, playing very well. And um, I'm not going to get tricked into playing Aaron Wise. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe I will. 
I haven't decided yet, but yeah, we'll I mean, we're putting the driver away, so that's a good thing. So we'll we'll see where I end up on 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 my lineup builds with Wise. But all right, six K range. We don't have to dive deep because it's an endless list of filth. But who do you like most here in this six K range? Give me your three top plays. So top play would probably be number one Norlander. Um, Sloan would be number two, and I'm I'm actually going to give you five because I really like it. I like uh, Anabon Lahiri. And actually, kind of look out for the barn rat that, that this week too. Just really kind of uh, you know from the clouds dart. I, I, he, he kind of has shown a little bit of form with with approach, and I, I want to just kind of monitor that. Uh, also, like Davis Thompson, but Michael Gellerman. You know, he missed the cut last week at the at the Barracuda, but Gosh comes in. It, it's amazing how he's not performed better in some of these tournaments. With, uh, with with how well he's hitting the ball. So just to kind of give you an example, in his last uh, one through six tournaments, he's gained on approach. He gained 8.7 at the three, o- three open, 3.5 at the Barberstall here in Kentucky, 4.6 at the John Deere, 5.6 into Rocket Mortgage. The biggest thing with, with Gellerman is just he has, to, he has to putt. And this may be, you know, uh, you know, you have to putt well to win this tournament. You have to putt well to make birdies. But there's some variance with putting, and he's minimum price at 6K. So I just wanted to throw in Michael Gellerman in there too. Who, who do you like? Yeah, I, I agree with you on Hickok. I, I agree with you on um, Norlander for sure. Um, but the guy I really have a lot of interest in is Brian Stewart. And we, we were talking about the scoring prowess that's necessary to win. And I know he's a better kind of like off the tee guy. But his scoring has come with some sensational approach play. Okay, he gained two strokes on approach in his last five tournaments. Um, he's gained three point eight strokes putting in his last five tournaments, which says to me that he's feeling really good with the, on the dance floor. Um, two point two strokes tee to green, and he's coming in at sixty nine hundred. So you're gonna have to get different in that seven k range, um, or if you're getting stars and scrubs, you might have to pay down at that top tier range to get to him. But I like Stewart in this spot. I think he's a solid option. He's had a solid 2021. He's coming in sub-7K. He He's had varying success here with a 51st, 31st, and 46th with two missed cuts. But he interests me to finish in that top 25 spot. I, I, I think there's some potential there, especially with how well he's been playing this year. And then uh, the last guy I want to mention is Jim Herman, right? The Hermanator. Yeah. Um, like... Not everyone's favorite play ever. Uh, like they, he's burned me plenty of times when when I look at Herman and say, okay, this looks like a solid play. Again, though, coming at that 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 uh, sixty nine hundred spot, but in his last four rounds, struggled. Don't get me wrong, but has been in the top thirty and kind of like my rolling reports in looking at like how well he's played at the Barbasol Championship, 20th, John Deere Classic, 28th, Travelers, 25th, Memorial, 26th, and had a hiccup last weekend when you needed to play solid scoring for four straight rounds. So I, I, I do like maybe going back to some Jim Herman here, though, in this in this 6K range. Um, I think there's guys that are going to get overlooked that shouldn't. Kadira. Uh, I think there are guys that are going to get overlooked like – yeah, Knox. The names that we typically see, Sam Ryder potentially, Cam Percy's down there. Um, I, I, a lot of people probably want to play KH Lee. Yeah, KH Lee. People are going to want to play him. So we'll see how things shake out. Looking at the power rankings, though, for this 6K range, Brian Stewart's number one, Hickox number two. 
Norlander's number three. Scott Stallings is number four. Jim Herman's number five. Duffner, number six. Tied for six with him is Roger Sloan. Then you got Bramlett, Molinari, and Tom Lewis. So that'll do it for the Birdie or Better segment. But the best question, the question we're all looking to answer is who can you not play this weekend? No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. 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 Hell no. Can't do it. So this is the Cutline Signature segment, Can't Do It, Won't Do It, our double-digit ownership plays that we can't play. Disclaimer, as I always mention, these are cash-viable options. We're talking about GPPs, how to get different with your guaranteed prize pools. You want to put them in cash labs? Go ahead. All right. This is the Cutline Signature segment, Can't Do It. I'm going to go. We're looking at over 20% ownership for these two guys, 8,100 and 7,600. My first, Schwartzel, and my second, Lebiota. Now, if these guys pan out being 20-some percent owned, no thank you. Can't do it. Won't do it. I'm going to leverage the field elsewhere. Those are my can't do it plays as of now, subject to change based on fan share sports ownership. But you give me 20%, 8,100, Charles Schwartzel. 20-something percent, Hank Lebiota, no thank you. Can't do it. What about you, Rob? Who you got? So I'm going to get two guys as well. Can't play, I'm not going to play, and total fade of Louie and Jason Kokrak. They will not be in the GPP winning lineup and going to pivot elsewhere. Uh, d- d- yeah, I won't even have any sort of shares in them. And I'll just say real quick on Kokrak, it's just trending some of the worst ball-striking in the field in my model doesn't mean he's hitting it the worst but he's trending the the, the worst so he's making large jumps in the wrong direction so a big fade for the rack Ooh, coax coax mm-hmm. winner of the charles schwab back in may mm-hmm. all right so all right let's take it home let's go oh you men are all alike seven or eight quick ones and you're off with the boys to boast and brag you better keep your mouth shut Oh, I think I love him. That's it. It's over. It's all over. That is the Cut Lines production and presentation of the Wyndham Championship. Join us next week as we break down the Northern Trust at Liberty National Golf Course. Want to give a special shout out to Fanshare Sports, to the PGA Tour, and Fantasy National. Want to give a huge thanks to Rob G. Thank you, Rob. You are awesome. You can follow Rob at DFSRCGuilt on Twitter. And make sure you check out his Monday Night DFS School live every Monday at 8 Eastern time. Rob, you rocked it tonight, man. Good job. Well, well, thank you. you well, you set me up for, for success, so I appreciate that. Appreciate you being on, or letting me be on, I mean. And this this was fun, and respect the hell out of you, uh, and appreciate you, like I just said. So th- this was great, and hopefully we help make, make people money this week. And oh, so we yeah. Good luck to you. Yeah, we, we already have. So good luck to you, and good luck to all your listeners out there. 
All right, appreciate it. I'm Michael Kevlunas at Lunas on Twitter. Go and get them. Get those wins. Six of six through the cut line. Trust your process. Get it done. Peace.